Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Can you believe it's April? Yes, it's April. I don't know where the time is going. (laughs) I guess time flies when you're having fun and the year is certainly moving ahead. We're into spring and actually looking ahead to summer. Now, we often consider the prospect and maybe even take the necessary precautions to stay healthy while we travel. But today we're asking the question, are you healthy enough to travel? What things to consider when selecting a destination or itinerary if you have a chronic illness? And are there types of trips you should avoid or take because of your health condition? Joining me today is recurring guest and healthcare professional Yolanda Como to help us get a checkup on our travel health. <laughs> we'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, We've got a little travel news. Gas prices are still very high. Yes, they are. So if road tripping this spring or summer is on your list, you may want to take heed to these 11 tips provided by Forrest Brown for CNN before you gas up for your next road trip. One is you would definitely want to use apps to find less expensive gas. They will really help you when you're on the road. You can access the apps. They can guide you to the lowest prices, the gas stations with the best prices. They are AAA Mobile, Gas Buddy, Gas Guru, Geico, and Waze, W-A-Z-E. AAA is the mobile version of the famous AAA triptych planner that comes with membership you can get price info along with route planning gas buddy also offers a card to save money on gas purchases gas guru owned by yellow pages it offers intel on car washes auto repair and atm as well as gas prices geico of course is the insurance company they have a mobile app to help locate good prices that are near you and Waze is a crowdsourcing navigation app that can also help send you to gas stations with cheaper prices you also want to take advantage of card discounts for instance discover card holders will get five percent cash back on gas station purchases in april may and june just click one prompt to sign up. So if you already have Discover, make sure you're signed up for that. There are also credits devoted specifically for gas. The consumer advice platform NerdWallet has compiled a list of the top ones for March of 2022, including the best ones for travelers. And I'm quite sure that list will extend into April as well. The other thing is joining some of the clubs with local gas stations so that you can get some rewards or awards down the line. The Penny Hoarder has some great options that you can check out. That's pennyhoarder.com. And then there's stations that might take off a few cents per gallon or so if you pay cash instead of credit card at the pump. So check that out. Bypass stations that are just off major highways. I think a lot of us know that, but sometimes we're in a pickle and must do it. But if you can avoid them, just stay off those major highway stations. 
use your navigation apps to find a more off the main highway station. And if you find yourself forced to get gas right away, then just be a little stingy at those expensive gas stations. Just get enough get what you need until you can get to a station with better prices. You want to keep up with your vehicle maintenance. Very important. Cars get better gas mileage when their parts are maintained. The experts at yourmechanic.com, a car repair startup that comes to customers' homes, told CNN Travel a couple of things you should do before you begin a road trip. One is to get your tire pressure checked. Make sure it's properly inflated. Under deflated tires increase fuel consumption. Look over your tires for bald spots and also gauge your tire pressure to avoid spontaneous tire blowouts or tears. And remember the air filter. Keep your car air fresh and cool by cleaning out and possibly changing air filters before a long road trip. This is especially important if you plan to drive during the day in the sun. Develop good driving habits and be sure to avoid known road construction areas. They may cause you to burn more gas with delays and extra traffic. And you should be sure to watch yourself on excessive idling. It burns gas and literally getting you nowhere. You're just idling and burning gas for no reason. And at these prices, who wants to do that? AAA also advises using cruise control unless the road is slippery. Drive more slowly and steadily. It depends on the vehicle, but on average, you get about 14% fuel savings if you stay at a steady 50 miles per hour. Now, of course, there are some interstates where the speed limit is 65, and so you may not want to go 50 in those cases, but maybe take a more scenic route where you can go slower or more steady. Consider a nearcation. Huh, is that the new term for staycation? <laughs> Just stay nearby so that you're not traveling as far. You want to target states with cheaper gas. AAA has a site that will give you the average gas prices per gallon listed per state, and you can filter it to get a list of the states in order of the least expensive. It's gasprices.aaa.com. So Missouri is at the top of that list with 4.051 per gallon for regular. Kansas comes in number two at 4.065. Oklahoma at 4.096. Arkansas, 4.13. Maryland, 4.29. Nebraska, 3.987. Texas, 4.2. Iowa, 4.053 and Mississippi 4.232, North Dakota 4.1 and Minnesota 4.1. So you may want to just check out some of the states that have the best prices. But if you really want to go to a big city, the good news there is that you can ditch the car altogether. Most of your major cities are going to have great public transportation access. No car is going to be required at all. You can take the train, the bus, or your own little two feet. <laughs> you can hit the pavement. A lot of cities are great walking cities, and it's a great way to see the city. For example, in Atlanta, the train there, the MARTA train, it goes directly to the Hartsville-Jackson-Atlanta International Airport. So no car rental necessary. You can just hop on the train to go to the city. And MARTA stations are near many 
major tourist attractions, including the Beltline Walkway, Woodruff Arts Center, Georgia Aquarium, and the Martin Luther King Jr. National Historical Park. And you can share a ride. No, I don't mean ride share, but maybe have a multi-generational trip. Invite more family members so that you can all share in the gas. (laughs) Share in the expenses for the gas. Well, those are the 11 tips that CNN provided to save on gas if you're hitting the road this spring and or summer. Well, Cathay Pacific has a new flight They've actually reinstated a flight, New York to Hong Kong, and it's now dubbed the longest in the world. It's a little tricky there though. You know, pre-pandemic, Cathay Pacific had three round trip flights between Hong Kong and New York every day. And Cathay Pacific has listed on their site, their new New York, Hong Kong flight scheduled to depart April 3rd. And according to the information, a nonstop flight would remain airborne for 17 hours and 50 minutes, meaning the flight would surpass a Singapore Airlines flight from Singapore to New York City, which travels a shorter distance, but for a longer time. So the flight time is actually 18 hours, but the flight distance is shorter. Why they're staying in the air longer, I don't know. But Cathay Pacific has said that it is seeking an overflight permit for the journey, which will fly across the Atlantic, Europe, and Central Asia. And starting April 1st, flights from the U.S. and eight other countries were allowed to land in Hong Kong again. And this is because the government has relaxed some of the world's toughest COVID-19 restrictions. Well, let's talk about some travel trends. You know what's still trending and i know i've talked about this week over week but some trends are really taking a hold and i think are going to be here to stay so forbes travel guide has listed the top four luxury travel trends one is searching for wellness and i can concur i can tell you on our last few trips many of our travelers hit the spa spent full days at the spa but people are certainly looking for wellness And in the September 2021 American Express survey, 76% of respondents said that they wanted to spend more time on travel to improve their well-being. 55% said that they would pay extra for wellness activities on future vacations. So the trend should continue to expand. Wellness tourism will see a 21% annual growth rate from 2020 to 2025. And this is according to a December 2021 report from the Global Wellness Institute. These include fitness, yoga, spas, dietary and nature retreats. I have to tell you that my husband was a bit shocked at my spa bill (laughs) in Dubai. Sorry, honey, (laughs) I needed to do it. (laughs) But another luxury trend is that people are crossing off destinations from their bucket list. These destinations that have been on their list for many years, the pandemic has really just said, you know what, why wait? We need to start seeing the world. These trip of a lifetime places. And then this final one, what's happening? is that people are really looking to get better sleep. Yes, people are going on vacation just to sleep. (laughs) According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, a third of US adults report getting less than the recommended seven or more hours of sleep nightly. 
Now, a lack of rest can lead to health issues like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and depression. And one way people are battling this sleepless nights is turning to hotels and looking for places to just relax, recharge for better night sleep. Think about those heavenly mattresses, resort-like suites, pillow menus, overall hotels, resorts, and rooms that promote rest and relaxation and a good night sleep. And then staying sustainable is what people are really looking for. 86% of travelers want to travel more sustainably, but only half of that number actually manage to do so. So a lot of resorts are really stepping up in their environmental design, the way they're handling food sourcing and managing their grounds. So places like the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group established an executive advisory panel for sustainability in 2018. And they've been working ever since to push forward that reform, like eliminating single-use plastics throughout all properties. The brand has also set its sights on food procurement, pledging to remove all endangered seafood species from the hotel menus and only buying responsibly sourced coffee, tea, vanilla, and cocoa. And they said that they plan to do this by the end of 2022. Well, that's all I've got for travel news. And when I come back, we'll have Javon's Travel Minute and healthcare professional Yolanda Como with Are You Healthy Enough to Travel? This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com and make sure you connect with me on social media and join the Travel Club. We have a whole lot of fun on social media and I want you to join in with that fun. And now... Javon's Travel Minute. Before you go on your next trip, be it domestic or international, check in with the tourism office for that destination. Why? Simply because they know everything about the destination from conventions to attractions, restaurants, and even free activities. They can even offer or point you in the right direction for discounts on attractions and other events occurring during your stay. Tourism boards can be for the country, region, or even a specific city. Use them. They are extremely helpful. This is Javon, and that was your Travel Minute. Today, we're talking about, I guess, what can be considered a sensitive subject, but it's very necessary and a very important one. Your health and traveling. Do you have a chronic illness? Should you travel with a companion? Are you too old to travel? I know I said it. (laughs) Will mental illness prohibit you from traveling? Overall, are you healthy enough to travel? Well, joining me today is healthcare professional and author of RN Bound, A Guide to Becoming a Successful Nurse is Yolanda Como. 
Hi, Yolanda, and welcome back. Yeah, hi, Javon. I'm glad to be back. How are you? Great. It's been a while. Been a long while. It's yes. been two years. <laughs> a lot has happened, huh? <laughs> that it certainly has. And you're in the trenches. You're, well, somewhat in the trenches. You're in the healthcare industry, and you are a practicing RN, but you weren't specifically working in the COVID unit. I wasn't working in the COVID unit. We were trying to avoid patients from coming to my area, but Walking through the doors of the hospital, you can always know that you can contract COVID because they're doing the best they can to screen people and everybody's still walking through the doors. But wearing your mask, we don't know who's vaccinated, who's not, who probably are carriers. If you're just walking through past the ER itself, people are there and they have COVID. So, you know, you just have to protect yourself and keep it moving. Yeah. I actually visited, you know, for regular appointment, but my doctor's office is in the hospital. So yeah, yeah. still wearing my mask. I know that with Illinois, the mask mandates have been lifted as of March 1st, but I think there's about 50, 50 as far as people still wearing their masks, yeah. I'm in that. I'm in the group of still wearing my mask. I just needed to be like, know that it is over and it really isn't over just yet. No, not just yet. And we have some more time to yeah. go and staying healthy while you travel. I think the last time we chatted was early on and we did talk about traveling with COVID during the pandemic and so forth. And since then, that has kind of monopolized the conversation. But health is a huge subject and it encompasses many, many things. But we have to really consider our health when we travel. And as I mentioned, some of us really need to ask the question, are we healthy enough to travel? And if we have some health conditions, we need to know how to navigate travel and stay healthy, maintain our health during that time. So with that being said, when should somebody ask themselves that question? Am I healthy enough to travel? Well, they really need to be honest with themselves and recognize truly what is going to entail traveling. So if you have health conditions and you know what was happening with yourself, what type of health conditions that you have and what it takes for you to get through the day with your health conditions, like which medications, what time schedules, how are you giving yourself medications? I mean, are you giving yourself injections? Are you taking pills? I know people who have to take a medication prior to eating a meal and then they have to wait a period of time before they can have their meal or they're taking a pill after a meal and know that you've got to be thrown off your routine when you're traveling and managing as you said all of your conditions but also the destination you have to know what kind of things you're going to be dealing with at the destination and I have to share something with you and the reason that I really wanted to do this is because on one of my recent trips I had a traveler who was struggling and I noticed earlier in the morning when we first set out at our first stop that you know she seemed a bit sluggish and I asked are you okay and she said I'm just tired now That's not unusual because it's a long haul destination. We were in Dubai and the day before was when they arrived. So it could have just been 
from the flight. So I said, oh, okay. I didn't say anything about it after that. But we made a couple of more stops and then we went to the restaurant and I hadn't really seen her since then. She was on the other bus, but then at the restaurant, she collapsed. And, you know, we got her seated, we got her stabilized, we called for a medic. Fortunately, at the restaurant where we went was in a hotel. So we were able to get the hotel to contact medics. And so I asked her, did she have any medical conditions that I should know about? And there was a long list, a heart condition, a high blood pressure, diabetes. There was about five or six things that she named, all yeah. of which she was on medication for. And she shared with me that she had taken all of her medications with the exception of her insulin which could have played a part. So we did get her some fruit juice and the medics were there. They really wanted her to go to the hospital, but she declined. But then I called her emergency contact person because she really was not in a condition to continue to travel with us. I was very leery of that based on what she had told me. And so she went back to our hotel But I did call her emergency contact person just in case to say she had an episode. And it was her daughter who then shared with me that she, with her heart condition, she only had about 10% capacity. And her daughter shared she cannot walk long distances. And this was a rigorous program. And her daughter said she even told her that, that this looks like it's a pretty active schedule and a lot of walking, which she was struggling to keep up, but also didn't want to, because to let everyone know she was having some issues because other people apparently were asking, are you okay? And each time she just kept saying, yes, I'm just a little tired. So that's why I really wanted to do this. And then ask that question, how do you know if you are healthy enough to travel? So when we say chronic conditions, what do we mean? Chronic conditions are health conditions that you live with and you've been living with and you've been managing with the assistance of your physician. If you have one, your primary care physician with medications, whatever they're telling you or guiding you how to manage your health conditions is long standing health condition that's not going to go away, but you have to manage it with either medications, diet, exercise, and other regimens that the doctor has referred you for. So it's a condition that's not going to go away. It's with you to stay. This is the issue, I guess you can say, is that it's different if something happens unexpected versus having a pre-existing condition And how are you managing that? So let's say you have a chronic illness or disease. Does that mean you cannot travel or should not travel? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that you have to know, like you called her emergency contact and she told you the situation. You as the individual must know and be honest with yourself that your daily routine is going to be thrown off when you travel. So some people, they wake up at certain times in the morning, they take their medication and then they have their breakfast or they have their breakfast with their morning medication at a certain time. And then if they are an active person or, you know, okay, now I'm going for my walk for the day. I usually go at noon or I go and I have my nap around noon, but you're traveling now. And not only are you traveling, you in multiple time zones. A nine-hour time difference yeah. between East Coast and Dubai at the time. Okay, so that's really going to throw you off because 
you're already going to be off a, probably a full 12 hours or a full day or behind with your medication. And, you know, so you said something because it made me think. How active was she at home? And maybe at home you have a much more relaxed morning that it's not, okay, we have to up by this time, out by this time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're leisure at home. You wake up, what, 10 in the morning. Okay, I'll go down for my breakfast. Um, You take your time and prepare your breakfast, and you're probably sitting down for breakfast at 11 or even after that. And that's Mm -hmm. when you take your medication. Yeah. Now, (laughs) should they see their doctor before they travel? Definitely if you have chronic conditions and they can let them know if it's a good idea for you to take, you can travel, but they will like to know where are you going and if it is a good idea for you to travel so far and most likely give them tips on how they continue to manage their care while they're away. I think that's most important that they can get that checkup to see if they're okay. One thing I do know about chronic conditions is that sometimes they're managed and sometimes they can flare up but your doctor can give you that checkup to say you know where are you in managing your chronic illness but also those tips when you mentioned that they can give you tips to help manage better especially maybe with these time zones well yeah definitely with the time zones i mean because you know how you feel with the jet lag and can be you know, pretty bad. Traveling. So, but you said that she had a heart condition mm-hmm. and her daughter says her capacity was probably 10%, you know, working at 10%. Had she gone to her doctor prior to taking the trip and if he known exactly where she was going, I'm not even sure if he would have told her it was a good idea. Yeah. And maybe but, ask more questions of the tour company. You know, we put out an itinerary, but you can't spell everything out and really say what it's like. For example, we went to the market and that market is very busy. And so we had a certain amount of time that people had there to shop and then get back to the meeting point. And then it's hot and you're coming from a winter destination into a place where it's now almost 90 degrees. So yes, it it was a bit startling for us, but you know, again, I thought this could really be helpful for anyone who does have a chronic illness. And there are a list of chronic illnesses that uh, one can deal with, not just something of the heart. But what risks could someone with a chronic illness face? Well, I mean, unfortunately, the biggest risk that can be fatal, I mean, they can die if it's not managed or properly while they're traveling if she was diabetic and did she check her blood sugar and missing the insulin I'm not sure why that was decided so a lot of times too your thinking can be off as well if you're not feeling well Mm. and you're not able to really make decisions or to manage your care at that moment things can be thrown off you know Mm -hmm. mentally not just physically, but mentally, because you're tired, you're exhausted. And if you're not feeling well, and there's not enough oxygen going to the brain, you know what I mean? I mean, that happens when you're traveling. And you can't throw off your decision making. Yeah. 
So that could have been part of it as well. And one thing that I do know as a travel professional and traveling to many different parts of the world is that healthcare is not equal around the world. And so I think one thing that is very important is to check the destination to see if you can get treatment in the event you need it at the destination for what you are dealing with and because that's not always going to be the same and are you going to remote destinations where it's going to take hours and travel insurance comes to mind and I asked her did she have travel insurance and she said no and she basically said it was just too expensive to get because if you're of a certain age and if you have a pre-existing condition your travel insurance is going to be higher So while I understand that, you're really jeopardizing your livelihood, your life by not getting travel insurance. Because as I just mentioned, if you're in a secluded destination or you're not in a major city near hospital, you may have to be airlifted or medevac. And that can be cost twenty five, thirty, fifty thousand dollars depending on the distance of where you need to go what about air travel the risk of air travel and what it may specifically present well it can probably make your condition worse depending on what is happening with you so people with heart conditions it can wipe you out the oxygen the air in the aircraft may not be sufficient for you in terms of perfusing the brain, perfusing, you know, your body system, your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. The trip, you said that the people got there the day prior. I'm not sure how long the flight was. By her having that heart condition, it probably did. Yeah, you're talking uh, about 13, 14-hour flight. Yeah, so if she's not up and about on the plane, if she's not walking around, like you said, she, the walking for her was limited anyway. Mm-hmm. If you're not an active person, I mean, you have to get up and walk around. You want your blood to circulate you want it to get to the brain the oxygen you know if if things like that aren't happening it can take a lot out of you health wise yeah but I did want to say I know we were talking about scheduling things when you're traveling to maintenance of your health and I know certain people if they're a dialysis patient they call ahead to the city or the state or wherever they're visiting to see if they can arrange to have dialysis in those areas if they're going to be away for a certain period of time. Yeah. Because some dialysis patients, they have dialysis three times a week. Right. But they still want to travel. Yeah. So they can arrange that ahead of time. But if you're traveling to another country, that I don't know. Yeah. Well, I have had a couple of, not a lot, but I have had on occasion someone ask about dialysis centers mm-hmm. based on our itinerary. And they do really scrutinize the itinerary to see where they're going to be and where is the dialysis center. I do also want to say that there are some travel companies that specialize in travel for those with medical needs or the elderly. And the reason I mention that is because a regular tour company, they're not going to have the time, they're not going to have the skills to assist in these situations, self-included. Again, I know basic CPR (laughs) because I take those courses every year, but ultimately, 
contacting someone for assistance, like we had EMT service come out for her. And with the ground company that I work for, we have an emergency contact. So we know who we can call to get assistance or basically what that equivalent 911 call is in that country or at that destination. But bottom line is we're not skilled in these situations to assist someone who needs constant assistance. So the next thing that comes up really then is should you travel with a companion? Yeah, I believe you should. In this situation, for her, it would have been a great idea for her to have done that. Mm -hmm. Probably with her daughter, since she knew her condition, knew what to escalate, like her passing out what to do in that case, that they check her blood sugar at that moment to see if her sugar was down. She could have helped guide you guys. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they would know what she would generally do at home if things like this occurred at home. Right. So yeah, she probably should have had a companion or anyone else who have chronic conditions probably should do that as well. Yeah, I I certainly agree uh, 100%. You know, and just some travel tips that I really want to impart because I think it's important for anyone, but also especially someone who's dealing with a chronic illness is, and it may sound like it's not that necessary, but, you know, as I mentioned, travel insurance, making sure you have that because there's so many things, and I know it's expensive, but budget for travel insurance and check with your own medical healthcare provider to see if they provide assistance internationally because not all plans do but they may have a supplemental one that you can purchase for travel for example blue cross blue shield has geo blue you don't have to have their policy in order to get it but geo blue allows you to get additional medical coverage while um, you're traveling. But things like traveling light, Mm -hmm. um, because you don't want to have to lift heavy luggage, especially if you have a heart condition. Make it as easy as possible for you. Make sure you have the the luggage on wheels, the Mm -hmm. four wheels, not two. So mm-hmm. you can just lightly glide, glide it over, you know, to wherever you're trying to, to your gate or boarding. Yeah. Um, I was thinking even AARP. Yes. You know, they mm-hmm. have lots of deals for seniors. And if you are a member, it doesn't cost a lot to um, be a member. But uh, if you're a member, go ahead and, and, and seek out what they offer yeah. in terms of travel insurance or. Yeah. And arriving early at the airport so you're not rushing to get to your gate. And even while you're touring, so if the tour is going to start at a particular time, get up extra early so you can have that relaxed kind of morning to have your breakfast, take your medications, and you're not rushing along with everyone else who's not dealing with the same thing that you're dealing with. And we'll come back to some more travel tips overall on things that um, uh, things that you can do. Um, but the, the age and traveling, um, you know, the U S census bureau says that over the past 10 years, the population of 65 and over has increased 34%. And there's a projection that by 2060, 94.7 million senior citizens, you know, will have, you know, and we're approaching that age. And so I think that there are some factors that we have to determine it, it, because it's it's not just age. It's physicality, too. Right. I mean, you can be older. I mean, I know some 80-year-olds 
who are so active. Yeah. I mean, they're driving, they're just, you know, going to events, just doing everything. So, you know, how much can your body withstand? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you still one of those people who just jump out of bed in the morning, go play tennis or, um, you know, do a little yoga or whatever you whatever you do to get your morning routine going. So if you are that active individual and you are up in age and you love traveling, I don't see why you shouldn't be able to travel. No, there's no reason that you should not be able to travel. I think you have to just approach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, know what you can. What you can, know your limitations, exactly. know what you can do, know what you shouldn't do or cannot do. And maybe have something that's not as, you know, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium kind of <laughs> itinerary. Another topic. I want to address is traveling with mental illness because that's another illness that is on the rise of people of all ages. We have the number of children and people, now adults, with autism, but we also have other mental illnesses, whether it's bipolar or schizophrenia or depression. Depression is is rampant. So a lot of times we're thinking about travel to get away from it all, to really help with those stresses. But if you're already dealing with mental illness, is it adding stress? So what are the main things we should know about as far as travel and mental health? Well, with mental health, and like you said, traveling, trying to get away from the stress, just know traveling is stressful. (laughs) So if you are someone that's suffering with that, I would suggest that you speak to your professional uh, health care provider to see if it's a good idea for you to take a trip um, and how you can manage your condition while you are taking that trip. Are you somebody who suffers from anxiety? I mean, really bad anxiety. Do you think you'll be able to get on the plane for an extended period of time? If you're going to another country on a 15-hour flight, and if so, do you need to have medication with you to help you get through that flight? If you're someone who can't be around crowds and you're with a group, you have to think about that. So are you going to be able to deal with various individuals while you're on this trip and, you know, mingle with them? Is it going to cause too much anxiety for you? What can you do to get away from triggers while you're on the trip? Go back to your room. You know, everyone know dinner was great, but I'm not going to hang out this evening. You know, I'm going to go back to my room and relax a little bit. Maybe that's something that you have to get used to doing just to get away to help with your anxiety. Well, and there's a couple of things that you you said that I really want to talk about as it relates to travel medications, travel insurance, and mental health. Travel insurance excludes coverage for mental health conditions. So that's something that you really need to know. Now, legislation here in North America, they are trying to change that and they're trying to require that insurance policies provide coverage for physical and mental illnesses, but travel health insurance typically excludes coverage for mental health. But one thing you can do is go on the travel insurance website to see if they have various bundles. And so these different bundles mean that you can add on to a standard insurance policy to help cover something that you're specifically dealing with. And it may fall under pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. And the thing to know about that is when to buy that travel insurance. But certainly if these are the things that you suffer with, you want to check out that travel insurance, what it includes and what it doesn't include. But the other thing about medication 
options is that if you're traveling internationally, you really have to know if there are any requirements or regulations at that destination pertaining to your medication. That is true because you see what our basketball player the situation that she's in right now. Vaping is legal here in the United States, but it's not in other countries. As we know, Russia is one of them. And a lot of people who do suffer with mental illness, they vape. So I don't know, like you said, and travel insurance do not cover it. And you have to be careful if you're traveling, you have your baggage claim. Well, they may confiscate that and they also may confiscate you. And a lot of Middle Eastern countries don't allow certain medications that deal with mental illness, Mm. like Vicodin and things of that nature. So it's very important to know And if you have these medications, first of all, go on the website of the country, verify what is allowed, what isn't allowed, then check with your doctor on what they can give you as an alternative. But also, you know, it's just really important for you to know what you can and can't take there. But you also want to make sure that you have your prescriptions and a doctor's note. <laughs> yeah, and make sure that the medication is labeled. It has your name on it. It's prescribed to you. And the doctor's note will be an added plus to give for proof of documentation that you need the medication. Yeah. So just overall, do you have any quick tips, maybe like your top three tips overall in traveling with medical conditions? You have to be honest with yourself. Okay, to say, is this something that I can do? Like, would I be able to get through a trip with my conditions? You know, just be honest with yourself. Think about what you do on a daily basis and if it's something that you can do while you're away. And also, I would seek my doctor. I would make an appointment before I leave and have a discussion with my doctor and let them know exactly where I'm going and what I'm planning on doing and do they think that it's advisable to do that. Great information, as always. And thank you so much for joining us today and uh, providing us with so many wonderful tips and information on traveling and your health. My pleasure. It was great. Great talking to you. When I come back, I'll have the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Make sure you follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born from the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. One of the things we often try to do when we travel is to visit a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Thanks to UNESCO, these sites are identified, designated, and protected. While we are very familiar with the acronym UNESCO, Do we know what it stands for? Well, I had to look it up myself. UNESCO stands for United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. UNESCO is an agency within the United Nations that is responsible for promoting peace, social justice, human rights, and international security through international cooperation on educational, science, and cultural programs. 
It is based in Paris, France, and has over 50 field offices located around the world. Shortly after the United Nations officially came into existence, there were 44 participating countries whose delegates decided to create an organization that would promote a culture of peace, establish an intellectual and moral solidarity of mankind, and prevent another world war. When the conference ended on November 16, 1945, 37 of the participating countries founded UNESCO with the Constitution of UNESCO. After ratification, the Constitution of UNESCO came into effect on November 4, 1946. The first official general conference of the UNESCO was then held in Paris from November 19 to December 10, 1946 with representatives from 30 countries. Since then, UNESCO has grown in significance across the globe and its number of participating member states has grown to 195. As for the World Heritage Sites, it's the designation for places on earth that are of outstanding universal value to humanity and as such have been inscribed on the World Heritage List to be protected for future generations to appreciate and enjoy. There are 1,007 natural and cultural places inscribed on the World Heritage List to date. The World Heritage Convention links together in a single document the concepts of nature conservation and the preservation of cultural properties. The convention recognizes the way in which people interact with nature and the fundamental need to preserve the balance between the two. It's done in what's called the five C's strategic objective. They are credibility, which strengthen the credibility of the World Heritage List as a representative and geographically balanced testimony of cultural and natural properties of outstanding universal value. Conservation. This ensures the effective conservation of World Heritage properties. Capacity building promotes the development of effective capacity building measures, including assistance for preparing the nomination of properties to the World Heritage List, for understanding and implementation of the World Heritage Convention, and related instruments. Communication to increase public awareness, involvement, and support for World Heritage through communication and communities to enhance the role of communities in the implementation of the World Heritage Convention. The convention defines the kind of natural or cultural sites which can be considered for inscription on the World Heritage List. The convention sets out the duties of states' parties in identifying potential sites and their role in protecting and preserving them. By signing the convention, Each country pledges to conserve not only the World Heritage Sites situated on its territories, but also to protect its natural heritage. The state's parties are encouraged to integrate the protection of the cultural and natural heritage into regional planning programs, to set up staff and services at their sites, to undertake scientific and technical conservation research, and adopt measures which give this heritage a function in the day-to-day life of the community. It explains how the World Heritage Fund is to be used and managed, and under what conditions international financial assistance may be provided. The convention stipulates the obligation of states' parties to report regularly 
to the World Heritage Committee on the State of Conservation of their World Heritage Properties. These reports are crucial to the work of the committee as they enable it to assess the conditions of the sites, to decide on specific program needs, and resolve recurrent problems. It also encourages states' parties to strengthen the appreciation of the public for the World Heritage Properties and to enhance their protection through educational and informational programs. Eventually, a single text was agreed upon by all parties concerned. The Convention Concerning the Protection of World Cultural and Natural Heritage was adopted by the General Conference of UNESCO on November 16, 1972. So how did it all start? Well, the idea of creating an international movement for protecting heritage emerged after World War I and the destruction of many sites. The 1972 Convention Concerning the Protection of the World Cultural and Natural Heritage developed from the merging of two separate movements, the first focusing on the preservation of cultural sites and the other dealing with the conservation of nature. Now, what sparked the concern to preserving cultural heritage? The event that aroused particular international concern was the decision to build the Aswan Dam in Egypt, which would have flooded the valley containing Abu Simbel temples, a treasure of ancient Egyptian civilization. In 1959, after an appeal from the governments of Egypt and Sudan, UNESCO launched an international safeguarding campaign. Archaeological research in the areas to be flooded was accelerated. Above all, the Abu Simbel and Philae temples were dismantled, moved to dry ground, and reassembled. It's a magnificent site. The campaign cost about $80 million, half of which was donated by some 50 countries, showing the importance of solidarity and nations' shared responsibility in conserving outstanding cultural sites. Its success led to other safeguarding campaigns, like saving Venice and its lagoon in Italy, and the archaeological ruins at Mohan Jadaro, Pakistan, and restoring the Borobudur Temple compounds in Indonesia. Consequently, UNESCO initiated, with the help of the International Council on Monuments and Sites, the preparation of a draft convention on the protection of cultural heritage. The idea of combining conservation of cultural sites with those of nature comes from the United States of America. A White House conference in Washington, D.C. in 1965 called for a World Heritage Trust that would stimulate international cooperation to protect the world's superb natural and scenic areas and historic sites for the present and the future of the entire world. In 1968, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature developed similar proposals for its members. These proposals were presented to the 1972 United Nations Conference on Human Environment in Stockholm. Today, UNESCO has five major themes, education, natural sciences, social and human sciences, culture, and communication and information. UNESCO is also actively working to achieve the United Nations Millennium Development Goals, but it is focused on achieving the goals of significantly reducing extreme poverty in developing countries 
on developing a program for universal primary education in all countries, eliminating gender inequalities in primary and secondary education, promoting sustainable development, and reducing the loss of environmental resources. In addition to the five themes, UNESCO also has special themes or fields of action that require a multidisciplinary approach as they do not fit into one district theme. Some of these fields include climate change, gender equality, languages, and multilingualism, and education for sustainable development. One of UNESCO's most famous special themes is its World Heritage Center which identifies cultural, natural, and mixed sites to be protected all over the world in an effort to promote the maintenance of cultural, historic, and or natural heritage in those places for others to see. These include the Pyramids of Giza, Australia's Great Barrier Reef, and Peru's Machu Picchu. You can learn more about UNESCO at its official site, unesco.org. Happy trails on your World Heritage sites. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and